but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hi everyone, welcome back to The Body Surf. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. Thank you for your patience as we uh, scramble to get part two of our US Open wrap out. I know it's a few days later, but hopefully you're still interested. It was very frustrating trying to coordinate schedules this week. Right, but we had a lot of folks reach out to say, you know, we're good, love. It's fine. <laughs> Thank you so much for keeping the men and the women wrap separate. Mm-hmm. But as it turns out, there is so much more to talk about than just a men's U.S. Open wrap. We already had an et cetera section tacked onto that agenda. And then we added like three more big things since. Not least of which, the official ban meted out Mm -hmm. to Simona Halp. But perhaps not the final word on the situation. Well, most definitely not the final word. (laughs) Most definitely. (laughs) So click that download button and skip to the parts you like because we label them. Or listen to the whole thing. You never know if you are not a Novak fan. There may be some bits in there that you may get enjoyment from. We do work hard, hard on the entire thing. The agenda is quite detailed. This one's four pages. Yeah. Eight or nine pages for our whole U.S. Open wrap. Anyway... Let's get started. Novak Djokovic wins the U.S. Open, wins major title number 24, his third of the year. He's won three Grand Slam titles in one year, I believe four times now. Mm-hmm. We're told that he now, he now joins Margaret Court atop the ladder, the Grand Slam mm-hmm. ladder, which is only fair if Serena Williams had to struggle up that mountain, that <laughs> artificial mountain, then so should he. Yeah, I, I mean... I didn't realize we were comparing men's and women's stats now. Mm. Only when it serves, apparently. But, but I guarantee I guarantee you this. I saw a graphic where they <laughs> they put pictures horizontally across the screen mm-hmm. of the leaders in terms of Grand Slam titles. And it was Djokovic, black and white court, then it was Serena, then it was Steffi and Ra- well no Rafa's in there as well. Rafa and Steffi mm-hmm. with 22. And no... And no Federer. So when I saw that, I cackled because I know as soon as Djokovic hits 25, court is banished forever. We will never see her face again on those graphics because there's no way tennis is going to stand for Mr. Federer being omitted from the five... I mean, this is taken... To denote the the greatest tennis mm-hmm. players of all the time, right? and if Federer cannot make that Mount Rushmore statistically, they're gonna fix that. <laughs> I'll just say I don't like the uh, the pantheon the the comparison between the two stats because obviously the court stat is very very different. Uh, but Novak and Margaret sharing a throne. Makes sense to me culturally, so I will let it slide. <laughs> uh, I'll get. Let's get some of the shady stuff out first. Well, first, you have here in parentheses beside Djokovic wins twenty four. 
against possibly the worst level of competition in his entire career. Do you want to list those <laughs> those seven men, those lads yeah. that he beat? Muller, Zapata Miralles, number 32, Gera, who turned out to be the toughest competition, uh, winning two sets. He played qualifier Bornagoyo in the round of 16. Number nine, Fritz, who on paper seems like, you know, a top 10 player in the quarters. That makes sense. Fritz was a breeze, a walk in the park. Taylor Fritz was so effortlessly useless mm. in that match. It was stunning to watch. The unseated Ben Shelton in the semifinals. And number three, Medvedev who obviously beat Novak in the 2021 U.S. Open final, thwarting the calendar year Grand Slam. He's beaten Djokovic a number of times, including once this year. But I know a lot of uh, Novak fans are really pissy about the weak era argument and think we're like whiny, cry babies. I can guarantee you nobody's crying over here. I know that's the go-to cry more. It's terribly original. Keep right. doing it. Your, your sea of tears, your flood of tears. Oh my god. So my, Drown in your tears. My argument is that if you accept that Djokovic came of age in an incredibly difficult era, which I believe, you know, the big four, he fought for many major titles against some of the very best in history. If you accept the strong era, I think you also should have to accept the weak era. Because this is not that. The competition now is not that. I rarely agree with Tony Nadal, but he is right about this. What did he say? Oh, I don't want to get into it. No, I mean, I missed it. I want to know what he said. Well, I don't remember the whole nine yards of it, but it was basically that this era is just incredibly weak and Novak is old and they're allowing him to win a lot of titles, which I think is the truth. Uh, The young rivals just physically and mentally do not have it against him. Alcaraz is the only one. The only one. And Medvedev occasionally. Eh, eh. Well, Medvedev played a deeply unserious final. He did. A stubborn, unthinking final. That was the problem. And then when he got his moment, break point in that second set, that interminable second set, that second set with pat-a-cake rally after pat-a-cake rally, 40 shots, 30 shots, dramaticking all over the place, fatigue galore, he makes the absolute wrong decision to go cross-court pass instead of wide open down the line and here we are number 24 here is Novak at the net you should have seen him coming he's served and volleyed a lot during this match and the strategy worked amazingly well that second set was one hour and 44 minutes long it was an incredibly physical set but like you said there was a lot of uh, pushing Yes. Was, the reason it went on oh my God. and on and on and on is because these rallies, like Medvedev can do this, right? This would have been his strength against Djokovic. He can hang hang in in long rallies and, and wear him down. Like that's how he's beaten him a number of times. Guess what, babes? That strategy is all fine and good, but you got to win at least one set. Well, the strategy was, past tense was good. It's clearly not anymore. Djokovic took the the tact to serve and volley a lot, get to the net, try to shorten points. Uh, again, like, he's the boy who cried wolf, so there was a lot of, you know, he fell on the ground. Every time I looked up, he was on the ground. 
he was grasping at his thighs, he looked winded, and at this point, like, I'm sure he was suffering, but at this point I don't know what's the truth and what's not. So I believe he was tired, but who's to say at this point? I also don't care. I just don't (laughs) care, you know? Sure. Like, do what you need to do to get through the match, I guess, but I'm so tired, tired of it. Gary Nathan uh, called the match, quote, a symphony of pain, which I, I absolutely loved that description. It was, But it was only three sets. I realized the second set was incredibly long. 104 minutes. But a straight sets match with Djokovic serving and volleying, Medvedev never changed his position, right? He's super deep in the court. It has worked in the past. In this match, it's not working. And it just felt like there was... There was no willingness to to think through this match. I never, even in the second set, I never ever believed that this was going to be his. I only got to that point when he flubbed that break point mm-hmm. in the second mm-hmm. set. I believed that if Medvedev won that second set, then only then would it be game on. Because it was a rope-a-dope thing going on from both players. Right. Right. And whoever won that set was going to win the thing. In the second set, it felt to me like if Djokovic is doing all of these theatrics about being extremely tired and worn down and he's falling on the ground, like if you can't snatch this from him, if he is physically compromised, if you can't snatch this set, like forget it. The third will be a quick, well, it was a quick 6-3, right? At that point, there was no chance. No, but there still were chances because well, Medvedev went down 3-1. Chances. He went down the break. It looked like he was about to be blitzed off the court and then breaks right back. Serving again 2-3 on serve. You were gifted that break back by Djokovic in the third set. Mm. It was a literal gift. And what do you do with it? Djokovic didn't do anything super special in that game, but Medvedev just was not able to do what needed to be done in that match. Right. And this is where, for me, he's a a clear rung behind and below Alcaraz against Djokovic. Because in this game of matchups here, where Djokovic is the best, Alcaraz showed at Wimbledon that he has something else to bring to the table. None of these men, none of these other men, bring anything to the table to even shift Djokovic's wig, well, let alone snatch it. I know. At, there was a point, and there probably will be a point in the future, where Medvedev can challenge him physically and can beat him in rallies. But if he doesn't adjust, like the big difference to me, obviously Djokovic still has a physical edge over most people, even at his age. But it's really like he knows how to manage matches. He's mentally more strong than anybody out there. The only person who comes close is Carlos. So when Medvedev is standing there, Nadal behind still the technically is an active player. I just yeah, want to put that out sure, there. Sure, sure, but he's behind the baseline. Novak is consistently coming to net. He's winning thirty-seven out of forty-four net points. Like, come on! Yeah, and you don't you don't adjust. Right. And this was a, a specific tactic for Djokovic heading into the match to rectify what happened at the U.S. Open yeah. in twenty twenty one. Because he knew Medvedev could beat him from the baseline. But he has, I mean, Djokovic's volley has improved uh, so much across his And Novak said that to be where he is now requires him 
to constantly reinvent himself and make changes. Mm -hmm. And we saw that in this final. And that's a credit to him because even if he legitimately has these depleted, mm, a depleted physicality, right? Maybe he could not play this type of tennis over five sets. If Medvedev stretched him, maybe mm. that would have been well, a maybe. no. We'll never it's know. Big we'll never know. <laughs> but to counter that potential situation, he had this strategy. And presumably, if that didn't work, he would have gone to another strategy. And if that didn't work, he would have tried something else. Mm-hmm. So many of these top players, we saw it with Sabalenka in the final against Coco Golf. It's a plan A. You're going yeah. with yeah. an idea of how you're going to play, and then that's it. And... I, I don't know, man. It was just a... As much as I did not want to watch that final, <laughs> mm. I sat through it because I have this podcast. Right. And right. I felt... Didn't really have a choice. I felt that at least one of us needed to be tuned in properly to this mm. match, right? We were also working at the time. There was a lot going on yes. this weekend. So much, y'all. <laughs> You there was so much going on. You have know. no idea. Um, so the fact that you're even um, able to sit up and record this podcast is a feat. I am um, literally sitting in my work clothes right now. I came through the door. I asked you to have my mango martini ready as I walked through the door. And you're mm-hmm. like, don't you need to take a moment? I was like, don't sit down. I'm ready. Like, Let's wow. go. Yeah. And that's a mango martini with gin, mm-hmm. guys. It's ma- Martinis are made with gin. Yeah, this is one period. of your big pet peeves. <laughs> okay, uh, back to tennis. Would love to see Daniel doing a little volleying with his massive wingspan. That would be nice. I don't need to see anything from him for a while. Oh. I'm totally over watching him right now. He's in timeout. Because okay. to go from that spectacular performance against Alcaraz to turn in this dud against Djokovic mm. was it I was think, just not it for me. I think he was a bit mentally spent, to be honest. The The semifinal against Alcaraz was one of the best matches of the tournament in a tournament that did not really have many men, memorable men's matches. And it took a lot to beat Carlos, even though Carlos, I don't feel, was close to his best during this tournament. Definitely not. Yeah. Medvedev ahead of that Carlos match said that he needed to play 11 out of 10. And in his post-match interview, when asked how happy he was with that performance, given what he said he needed to do, he said, I played 12 out of 10. That's how good it was. (laughs) And there was a level of aggression in that semifinal Mm -hmm. that he did not bring to the final against Djokovic. Yeah, yeah. that was a giving real Spinal Tap vibes, turning it up to 12 This is the portion of the programming where we do our obligatory lauding of Djokovic's talents on court. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, If you are into needing to have a decisive GOAT, greatest of all time, Djokovic is going to be that person by the numbers, regardless. It's going to happen. Where we are right now is that we do not enjoy watching him play tennis. We do not enjoy him still being on the tour. And we heard from Goran Ivanisevic that he will be here for a long time. Yeah. Because Goran said that that not only is he planning to play the Paris Olympics, he's planning to play the Los Angeles Olympics. Mm. And I said, when is that? (laughs) It was like four years from next year. I didn't even know. Which is 2028. So Novak Djokovic is planning (laughs) to play tennis into his 40s. So there's there's that. No surprise there. Novak 
said that as long as the Body Serve podcast exists, I am here to torment you. And again, you can, if you are tuning in for the first time, we've never hidden our biases. Maybe we're a little bit more open with our dislikes now. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) But he's made that easier for us, quite frankly, in the last two years, because there are certain things that we will not compromise on, and nor will he, and the two of us shall never meet in the middle. So it is what it is. In the meantime, we're stuck having to talk about this man's achievements to a point. We'll give it like, what, 20, 22 minutes to start the show? Max. Max. <laughs> so say what you need to say. But he's, he, is, he is the best still on tour. Still. I, I think we already established that. You can move on to the next. So the next part is where Novak returns to Serbia, which is not his official residence, country of residence, by the way. <laughs> He returns to Serbia, and there's this hero's parade alongside the FIBA silver medal winning Serbian basketball team, I believe. And in that parade, Novak wept after surviving the crucifixion he experienced during COVID. He's now come out on the other side of that. He has gone to the country that banned him, one of the countries that banned him wasn't able to play the U.S. Open last year. He's now been vindicated, I'm sure, in his mind. And amongst his people, he felt that love and was overcome with emotion. Which is fine. We love men crying. Not this one. Is that what you're saying? I, I love nothing about this. <laughs> we've, I mean, we've seen his parents compare him to Christ before, literally. We talked about uh, signification in the last episode. Remember, like, semiotics theory. And what is going on with Djokovic is, like, at this, that second level of signification or second order is connotation. So, like, what he, how we interpret the meaning of Djokovic. And on this third order... How dare you? What? Muddy the meaning of Mariah Carey for me. (laughs) Oh, how right. dare you? Hey, Mariah Carey obviously read Roland Barthes, and that's why she <laughs> called it that. Uh, at that third order, where we're talking about cultural meaning and myth, Novak Djokovic represents something very important for Serbia, but also for non-Western countries, right? He represents this affront to the West. We're to, told this all the time yeah. by his defenders, and, right? But you can see how people choose to defend him in action. And a Balkan country that was at war when he was a child. The West is this monolith culturally and politically. Djokovic is seen as a, a rebel. A disruptor. Like a patriot, a, a great patriot of Serbia, a nationalist, but also, yeah, a rebel and a disruptor of Western hegemony. A patriot of Serbia who does not pay taxes there, which is mm. where this segment is headed because he's a resident of Monaco. And it got me... Thinking about this a lot and doing a little bit of reading about it. So before you get there, let me just wrap up this okay. this cultural myth-making thing. He was seen as an imposter, or his fans view him as a great disruptor of the Fedal regime. And anybody who counters him at this point is a plant of the, the Fedal cabal. Oh, I just, mm-hmm. I just coined something. A Fedal cabal. Oh my god. Wow. I am so good. 
Uh, Is that the title of the episode? No. The Fidal Cabal. No. So, you know, if you don't like him, clearly you are a Fidal lover and that's what you're trying to protect. And so the vaccine was just one more thing, like one more thing where he had to stand up to the capital E establishment, the Western powers trying to control his body. And like you can see this geopolitics play out so on Twitter and anywhere you want to talk about Novak, it gets so much bigger. There's no use even discussing this stuff anymore because fandom is not only fandom, fandom is nationalism and fandom is geopolitics at this point. What I hate about this is that the you can't tweet about him like without getting a legion of trolls right in your mentions. But what I hate about it is it's so humorless. Like, have a little fun, guys. Your guy right. is winning 24 Grand Slams, and every reply is boring, rote, and devoid of humor. Serena's army, or Rena's army, was mean, right? Mean and messy, but they were funny. Okay, but also, <laughs> you were chasing the entire time. You felt you were put upon... Mm-hmm. You are the outsider. No, you are on top. You right. can't be punching up anymore. So have There's fun. no more punching up. You will now be punched. That's how this works. <laughs> so take it in good humor and enjoy the wins. Ignore all that he did the last three years and enjoy the wins. Preferably in silence, so I don't have to read about it. But, you know, you cannot now be still coming for people. You are no longer the victims here. And I'll get to this later. But this is my hot take on Serena's tweet and exactly why I feel ambivalent about it. Ambivalent? Yeah. Because Serena is at the top now. I'll stop. You go ahead. The eight? (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk about that later. (laughs) All right. So Novak is a Monaco resident, meaning he doesn't pay taxes in Serbia. He is not unique in that regard. Bjorn Borg was the same back in his playing days when he won... All those French Opens and Wimbledon titles. So many of the top players now are residents of Monaco, have been for forever. Daniel Medvedev, Grigor, Hogaruna is a resident of Monaco. Tsitsipas, Sinner, Yannick Sinner. Mm. Uh, I haven't gone into looking into who the women are in this regard, who have Monaco as their residence. Denis Shapovalov has as long as I've been aware of him, been a resident of the Bahamas for the same reason, Mm -hmm. because these are tax havens. You don't got to pay income tax. I found this article on Forbes and they tell us what is required to become a resident of Monaco. And it's actually pretty easy. And this is why so many tennis players do it or are able to do it. Well, if you have a lot of money. Well... The require, quote, the requirements consist of renting or buying an apartment, opening and funding a bank account with at least 500,000 euro, and taking on a utilities contract, such as electricity. Prospective applicants must also have a clean criminal record and participate in an interview with a police officer from the Monaco Security Bureau. So That, that is pretty easy. It is pretty easy. To get easy. a visa to live in a country? Let's f- hone in on Holgaruna right now. At 20 years old, why is he a resident of Monaco? <laughs> It is for the strict and sole purpose of tax evasion. Yeah. And you know, in Scandinavian countries, the income tax is very high. That's what it is. Yeah. And so what, what, how does this play out here? 
you are 15, 16 years old, you get an agent, and they're like, well, you know, Holger, I'm going to talk to your parents. Your first 500,000 euros, you need to put that in a Monaco bank account because <laughs> we're going to be hiding that money. <laughs> yeah, you get an accountant and they tell you what to do to protect your money, basically. And so what struck me as I saw Novak weeping in Serbia upon return amongst his people as this would-be savior, you are not like them because you've decided very early on that you are not going to pay your proportional taxes that every other Serbian would. Right, but they would argue that he has paid them a hundredfold with the type of investment and attention he's brought to the country. That's what people who don't know him personally, who aren't friends with him, who aren't his accountant, (laughs) Mm. who are solely invested in defending him at all costs, would say. And that's what people say about rich people all the time. Yeah. Like, you can't tell rich people how to spend their money. They've earned it. Well... Or they have a charity. Looky here. What they've done by hiding their money in Monaco is given them the freedom, the personal freedom, the personal liberty, to do what they want with their money. And fine, you open a charity here, you do something here, you raise other people's money to do good in Serbia or other countries. Maybe you are like Dominic Team, and you're getting other people to invest in tennis players' careers, but not necessarily your own money, right? You have the freedom to do all these things without the pressures that everybody else faces of having to meet this tax deadline by a certain time when you can easily do it. You know, it's really none of my business. It probably isn't any of mine. I understand all. It's probably none of mine as well. But I just was so taken aback. Given, as you all should know by now, how much I disdain the intertwining of sport with nationalism. Mm -hmm. And how that is inextricably entwined in tennis. And in tennis, there's no figure more entwined with nationalism than Djokovic. Exactly. Like he leans, leans in hard. A lot of to people this. have predicted that he will become a politician, perhaps the head of state of his country right. at some point. So I just wanted to point that out. Do what you will with that. Think about that how you want. And if you want to come for me, I don't care either. <laughs> which is what which is where I'm at. You know, like right, right. you say, Oh, you'll cry your tears, Nadal fan, whatever like I literally don't care. The only thing I care about is that I have to talk about it because I have a mm. podcast. I really yeah. would rather not. Like, do you need us to cry? Like, is that is that what you want? I cry more is the stupidest reply. <sighs> yeah. So let's move on. Anyway, apparently, some tennis goats did not congratulate him. Apparently, I did. I don't know that. So maybe I, today I, they did, but apparently, uh, Rafa, uh, who's the other one? Federer and serena and those three the mm -hmm. the three big ones haven't yet congratulated him and so it's what is how dare they serena does not pick up her phone unless one of her former colleagues has been convicted of doping (laughs) that's all she's got a new baby who cares let's talk about the semis we talked a bit about the alcaraz medvedev semi daniel came in with a very clear plan he he basically just played his game at, like, the super max level. You were asking me, like, what is he doing? Like, why, how is he winning this match? And Because I wasn't oh, home for most of it. Right. I was at work. He's serving big. He's uh, relentless in baseline rallies. 
uh, I don't know. It's hard to describe Medvedev when he's in full flight. He's just grinding you down. He can outlast you in everything. He can he was, hit winners. He was that hitting crazy angled passing was. shots. And his technique is so odd that it's often surprising when he does it. Big serving, big attempts on second serves. So even with those 10 double faults, his serve felt imposing. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of annoyed by this result because I was hoping for a Djokovic-Alcaraz final mm. in that I felt Carlos would have been the biggest threat to Djokovic. Yes, yes, I agree. And fine if Djokovic is going to win if he must have somebody challenge him. Because I don't think that this final was an imperious Djokovic. It wasn't a Djokovic that couldn't have been pushed. It was a Djokovic who was smarter than his opponent. It was a Djokovic who had a game plan, who knew what he needed to do, and he executed it. It's all that was required. You can see in some of these matches, he's bored. He's literally bored. Do you think he was challenged mentally against Taylor Fritz? No, I'm not I'm not even saying that to be shady. I'm saying that to be like how do you go out there knowing I am so much better, like exponentially better than these people and I need I just need to get through this match. Isn't it boring? No, I mean it's not even that. You show up on court and you're like, "Well, I know that tennis players develop and they can maybe learn new things and do new things and if they're so intellectually inclined try new things on a tennis court Mm -hmm. so i'll wait a few games and see what's happening when i play this person again and after three or four games if i'm novak djokovic against taylor fritz i'm just laughing inside well right because this is just crazy because you realized oh he's actually he's not bringing anything different like this is actually a regression (laughs) i read um So Owen from Popcorn Tennis wrote a piece on Djokovic and his competition that I really enjoyed. And he was arguing that they're not necessarily regressing, but they're not progressing at all. And Djokovic, even at his big age, is progressing (laughs) mentally, right? He's like cracked the code on all of them. And these guys are just not adding anything. So Owen looked at all of his final and semifinal matches this year. So eight matches. He only lost four sets at that stage. And they were all to Carlos Alcaraz. That's it. Like, that is literally the only competition. So let's talk about Djokovic versus Shelton. Ben was a surprise semifinalist, beat his countryman Francis Tiafo in the quarterfinals. And uh, honestly, I knew this was not going to be a match. Like, Ben is just, he's nowhere near having kind of the the tennis experience to like put together a right. best of five set it match against Djokovic. have been a match. It really shouldn't have been. No. He was punching way above his weight by making the semifinal. Kudos to him for making vast improvements on his backhand. Mm-hmm. And even in the last few months, because he was hitting winners off of that backhand, which yeah. I hadn't seen. Against Francis, I, I feel like he hit more winners in, in that one match off his backhand than he did all of last year. Uh, probably. I mean, how many matches has he won since the Australian Open? Not many. The entirety of his year has been the Australian Open and the US Open. <laughs> his ranking, Pretty yeah. much, yeah. Ben only managed five aces against Novak. And this is the guy who was hitting 149 mile per hour serves in previous matches. He won only 60% of points on his first serve. 
And for somebody whose game is so tied up in first serve, that's really not good. Like, that's not going to win you a match. There's not much to say about the match itself. Uh, the big controversy at the end and what caused me to block probably close to 50 people. 50? I think so, yeah. Yeah, because once more, you decided to tweet something <laughs> from your personal account when during slam time, it's the body serve Twitter account no, that needs to but, get the traffic. No, I felt the body serve didn't need that kind of smoke. All I said, so at the end of the match... Djokovic mimicked Ben Shelton's famous hanging up the phone celebration. Mm. Which, which he did against... Which I hated. He did against, against Francis. Right. I hated it against Francis. And I also hated the mimicry. Like, I felt like, again, that was punching down. Right? There was... You never... You were never threatened in this match. You are 36 years old. You are grown with two children. Why are you doing this stupid shit? Like, it, to me... And all I said... Was your 36-year-old and mimicking the kids' phone celebration? Like, that is so cringe to me. Somebody said that I look 35 and I'm complaining. And I'm like, babe, I'm older than that. Thank you so much, honey. Just Thank had a you. birthday five days you ago. Too Six sweet. days ago. You are too sweet. Um, the point was that you're too old. To be doing this stupid shit. I work with a lot of young people and they're always saying fam this, fam that. Fam would never come out of my mouth. I'm 39 years old. But you live in Toronto. It would never come out of my mouth. I am too old for that. So when you're out here playing a 20 year old who is doing all this cool shit. And you're going to now use that to try and shut him. It was was the height of cringe. And people are like, oh, y'all said he should be the villain, so now that he's leaning into it, now what? I, I thought you didn't like when we called him the villain. I don't, I don't know. I can't keep it straight anymore. You know, like, what it is that is being targeted. Mm-hmm. What, what is the new issue du jour? What is it that Moran <laughs> Whitney were saying? Oh, the oh, day. The day. <laughs> what is the issue oh, the day? I don't know. <laughs> and so, but what I will say is, this U.S. Open... Put into stark relief for me just how different tennis can be and how many more eyes can come to tennis if these young black players develop and become stars. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not, I mean, Taylor Townsend reached reach a second round of singles, quarters and semis of the other two disciplines. But they drive so much traffic to tennis on social media just by being who they are. Their authentic mm-hmm. selves being attuned to what Gen Zers and whatever hell the generation is that comes after that. Oh, God. I don't know. Like what the is babies? It? Whatever that generation. Do they have a name yet? I don't know. Let's. It's about time. Shouldn't with, it be coming? Let's deal with one generation I'm at just a time. saying, like, these social media people who are driving social media, who are able to do it, we can't do it. We're too old for that. We know that. (laughs) We are not. We're not trying. We've aged out of it. But these young black tennis players can do for tennis what nobody has been able to do in the last 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. When people ask, what what is the solution? What can tennis do? How can we become relevant? This is it. Yeah. And so. This is squarely it. Today, I had a coworker who I'd worked with for 12 years who's known I do this podcast for nine years has never had a conversation with me about tennis at all, ever. I had a five-minute conversation with her about Coco Goff. Really? Because she found 
a Coco video on maybe Instagram or whatever and went down a Coco rabbit hole and then was talking to me about Lara Sigemon, about how fuck her, (laughs) fuck her drag. Like how dare her and her white lady tears. Oh, wow. And it went on and on. And I'm just sitting there laughing because I'm getting the local Yes. Response yes. to Coco Golf and Tennis, like right? We've delved into it's, this. It's so several deeply. like I have a tennis podcast. <laughs> you know? Mm. Like what we talk about here is on a completely different level from when you're talking to a tennis local in real life. Yeah. You know? Because yeah. what we do is like obsession. And that was like one of the f- first and only experiences I've ever had like that. And so it tickled me. <laughs> you know? But yeah. this person that I've never talked with tennis about we did today in a meaningful way because of Coco Goff, because of her star power, because mm-hmm. of her ability to cut through on social media. And to bring this back to Djokovic, he will never have that. And I think that that's what part of this was. He saw Ben Shelton and all the... What's, what's the word? What's the technical word? What? Not interaction. Engagement. engagement. <laughs> all the engagement he got this past tournament. For a lot of it being his swag. Right. To right. be frank. Because, and Djokovic knew that Ben Shelton is nowhere near in his league. So this was an easy dunk. This was him trying to cosplay. This was him tr- appropriating, in a sense, in my mind, African-American culture. Oh, oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm not um, stepping my foot in that. I'm not At going the there. very least, young people's <laughs> business. No, I felt like... He was annoyed at the crowd, possibly annoyed at Shelton for his antics, and just wanted to set the record straight about, like, who the boss was. And you didn't need to do Like, you did that by winning. But anyway, some people like this stuff in tennis. The, me, US, Open, the US Open social accounts will clearly love this shit. Uh, if you were following their TikTok this past week, you know they were leaning hard into, like, the teenage boy demographic. It was very low. They, I mean, they were using audios from the TV show The Boys, some of which included the ableist C slur, mm. if you know what I mean, which was very audible. It was such a strange and stupid choice by the team to do that. They were, you know, they were using audios with curse words, which is fine, like we curse on here, but it was just weird from an official Grand Slam account. Right. They're trying to tap into something. They're trying to... It felt like very posery. But there were a lot of people in the comments who were like, I will call like the Nick Kyrgios fan archetype who were like, yo, admin getting a promotion. You know, like, okay, it was so weird. Anyway. When in fact, you could just play the music and have Ben Shelton look back at Taylor Townsend after she's hit the ace and then Taylor do the shoulder shimmy. (laughs) Yeah. And that the that stuff, is what you're trying to get. It speaks for itself, right? That is what you're trying to get, and yeah. you can't have it. Instead, you're just giving a repressed, oppressed teenage nerd who was never cool. That's what you're giving. <laughs> there was a little bit of a straight boy shade throwing in press. You know, they try. It's cute. Novak said, I just love Ben's celebration. I thought it was very original, and I copied him. I stole his celebration. When Ben was asked, he said, As a kid growing up, I always learned that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Both dripping with sarcasm, in my reading at least. (sighs) Uh, I mean, the Ben stuff, I'm not, certainly not, jumping on the wagon of criticizing a black player. Like... (laughs) 
a lot of the people on here. The like the college stuff is not is just not my style, right? It's it's not something I love. I don't really like that we get to see players talk to their boxes constantly, like between every single point. I don't like that we get to hear what they're saying and what their coaches are saying. I don't care. I'd like to hear less of it. I think Ben's, what would you call it? Ben's like gestures and antics will get toned down like as he it becomes like a regular fixture on the tour. Mm. It's just not, no, I'm, it's not I, really my style. I don't know that it will, nor does it have to. I don't think it's a signifier of youth or immaturity. Mm. Mm. I think it's 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 part of the culture. You know, it's this thing that we're talking about. That is it? It could be. Mm. Maybe it is. I don't. I I don't know for sure. I can't tell. I'm not into college tennis. Right, but this right? is not college tennis. Okay, but is it just part of the culture? Maybe. I mean, tennis changes, and it's it should be allowed to change. And you told me like. Well, Francis does stuff like that, too, and you don't care. And I said, well, I guess you're right. I mean, my only retort was, well, Francis is Francis. Okay. Right? So I'm I'm owning that. Mm. Like, that double standard. So We're not going to talk much about the other quarterfinals. That guy lost in straight sets to Alcaraz, as he should. Beautiful. Lovely. Alcaraz, not even at his best. No, that was a symphony, Mr. Nathan. <laughs> that was a symphony. Not of pain, though. Just Just a symphony. <laughs> A symphony of bad-mindedness on my part. <laughs> Medvedev beat Rublev, 6-4, uh, Rublev was typical Rublev in this. Leads mm. in first two sets and swiftly gave them away. His friend has beaten him many times in slams at this point. Nine quarterfinals, zero wins. He has a sense of humor about it. He said, well, at least I have some kind of record. <laughs> Shelton beat Tiafo 6-2-3-6-7-6-6-2. This was painful for me because I felt Francis lacked a lot of energy. Didn't... It was listless. Right? It and was so disappointing. We have seen him like this before. And someone else, another flashy player who we have seen like this before is Anshibor. And I think both of them have entered matches just with a, a lack of kind of mental energy and get up and go. That's what I felt like in this match. Remember when I told you two episodes ago that the establishment wanted Ben over Francis? We yeah. saw this in this match. Because you were like, what, what were you saying? I don't know. I was probably just saying like, why? Why would they? Well, first of all, why no, would they want to? No, no. You were saying, I think, you can tell by the court assignments that the, establish, the yeah. establishment really wants well, Francis, Francis to do Well, Francis got Ash several times. Yeah. And of course, he's uh, he was a top 10 seed. Shelton was unseeded and had this magical run. But during this but match, you're right. You... all we could hear, even though Francis is a top 10 player, was how Ben Shelton was going to be the next Andy Roddick for American tennis. Yep. All the commentary was about Ben's potential. And I don't don't even want to probe the many reasons why that could have been for me i if you're talking about narratives i just find francis's story much more compelling but do we have to hear that story anymore no no we don't but those are the things that might implicitly draw me to a player versus mm. oh, this person grew up with a tennis coach as a parent who was always you know who grew up with all this privilege like that's not really that compelling to me 
Bottom line, Francis played a real stinker of a match here. And then, yeah. right around this time, steam begins to really build around Ben Shelton's likes and follows on Instagram in particular. Oh? Are you getting into children's business again? I'm getting into a 20-year-old... <laughs> yes, an adult. Fair enough. ...who is now very much in the public's mind's eye and oh, follows talking... that Vivek dude. Yeah, the uh, candidate for president, I guess. And until recently, followed Candace Owens. <laughs> well, and, so does Shelby, Shelby Rogers. Shelby have, Rogers have to this day. Yeah. You know what? I won't say that my days of social media policing are over, but they've definitely waned. I, I'm happy to just observe other people finding out. You know, I was of that opinion until I found that one of the things that he had liked was one of Vivek's platform issues that directly affects queer and trans people. Yes. And so... That was very disappointing. That was a no-go for me, and I will have to withdraw my personal support for Mr. Shelton until I see otherwise. Yeah, because there is no way in hell I'm going to be celebrating a Republican. At, Remember at that. my big age. Absolutely Ain't no not. way in and you hell. Can, you can say what you want, but I'm not changing my mind. I'm not the one who made him like those tweets. No, I'm not you. I'm saying there are people out there who said, why would you blame, why, why would you allow somebody's politics to enter, you know, yeah, your and, tennis watch? And that's my response. That's right. what I'm saying. I'm not the one who liked those tweets. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly going through the doubles here. Yes. Rohan Bopana, who is 43 years old, who we actually saw walking through the grounds a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. If you remember, people were just sort of casually saying hello to him. I mean, he just kind of looked like an older gentleman. A very tall gentleman. Walking but through yeah, the grounds. 43 years old. He is into his second slam final in men's doubles. Was. Was. <laughs> this is now Wednesday night, <laughs> yeah. sir. His first was the 2010 US Open with Qureshi when they did their uh, Indopak Express thing. He won. He actually won a mixed doubles title with Gabby Dabrowski in 2017 at Roland Garros. But... Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury three-peated at the U.S. Open, which has not been done in the Open era. Each winning their sixth major title, they beat Bopana Ebden after dropping the first set. They'll move to number five and six in the rankings. Austin Krychek is back to number one. He and Pegula lost in the mixed doubles final to Anna Delinina and Harry Heliavara. First slam title for both of them. Pagula, of course, is also a co-number one in women's doubles. Austin's back at number one after being there earlier this year. And he just won a Davis Cup doubles match today. You added this on the agenda. The ranking movers. <laughs> yeah. Because Djokovic did not play last year, his number one ranking was secured pretty early in the tournament. He's back to number one. Tiafo is out of the top ten for failing to... Defend semifinal points. He did reach the quarterfinals. You guys let that guy back into the top 10. Really. Truly. Nice job. Truly. He's at number 10. Ben Shelton rises 28 spots to number 19. Kasper Ruud is down to number 9. And Holger Runa somehow maintains his number 4 ranking after losing in the first round. And that somehow is because he was only defending third round points from last year. 
Arnaldi is into the top 50. Berrettini falls 30 spots to number 66. Bornagoyo, Hijikata, and Stricker are into the top 100. Now this Stricker dude, Dominic Stricker, Mm -hmm. quickly. (laughs) This clip went around of him on a changeover with Whitney playing, and he's singing along. Very Bopping around. Right. And I'm like, you know, this is a Gen Zer who knows lyrics to one of the most iconic songs in history. <laughs> a queer anthem. I'm going to stand. Yes. Only to then find out that he thought it was Michael Jackson singing. <laughs> <laughs> Which I will tell you today at work, there's a young 20 something bartender and in sinks. Well, what is what is that song? Not it's not it's gonna be me. It's one of the other ones. Bye, bye, bye. No, ne- another one. Um, one of their early ones. Fast paced, up tempo. Oh, what was their big song? Um, it was tearing up my heart. A uh, classic. And so this was playing, and I was you know I was jamming you know like this is my high school years, mm-hmm. and I say to her, do you know who sings this song? And she's like, wait, wait, let me think. I know this one. Nothing prepared me what? for the answer. Nothing. What? what do you think would be the most ridiculous oh. answer that, that this person could give? Not even a group, but a solo artist, a solo male artist. Mm. Elton John? Paul McCartney. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Paul, not Paul McCartney. Listener, I have never felt more old I don't in think, my life. I don't think that person knows who Paul McCartney is. And then she was like, isn't that Jesse McCartney's dad? <gasps> Mm-mm. Wow. I just walked off. I walked away. I walked away because how do you begin to sift through that? Where where do you start? We are just at different paths. Jeannie mm-hmm. Bouchard announced that she'll be a participant in the Pro Pickleball League for next year. Party. Okay. Uh, Party in the USA. Apparently, they are paying a lot of money. That's what I've been hearing. That's what Ellen Perez tweeted. Uh, that's why a lot of people are leaving, especially doubles players who are not making a lot of money on the tour. Why would you not go to pickleball? I guess there's like a lot of venture-backed money in pickleball right now. It's unclear if this means the end of her tennis career or if she plans to do both. There's no reason why she can't do both, right? I don't know. Can you do both? Why? Like, uh, like Bo Jackson? <laughs> But he did both, right? Deion Sanders did. did. Yeah. Deion Sanders played for both the Braves and mm. a football team in the early 90s. Michael Jordan did when he was uh, suspended no, from the no, NBA no, from no. Betty. He was doing one at a time. <laughs> when he was allegedly uh, Previously, banned for something. Well, the official response is that he needed to take a break after the murder of his father, James. Oh, wow. Have some decor. Wow. Way to shut me up. Previously, it's been just retiring or retired players who are making this transition to pickleball. Jeannie, I think, is one of the first ones who maybe could do both. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Do we care? It doesn't rise to that level. Not an iota. It does Uh, not. We were just in New York in, uh, where were we? Brooklyn State Park. Mm -hmm. One of my absolute favorite parts of New York. magical. Stunning at night. There was a, a small pickleball court and there was like a quartet playing. And I was sitting there like... I'm not I'm not that good at tennis, but I would destroy these people at pickleball. Like how is a tennis player going to play pickleball and not seriously injure somebody? 
Do you know what I mean? Maybe there are skills that aren't transferable. Maybe. I don't know. We shall see. <laughs> Maybe. A lot of people were thrown a huge curveball in trying to follow this U.S. Open. Your mother. Being my mom, who was so excited and grateful for having been at the U.S. Open for the first three days, gets home and ESPN is gone. So many people can't watch the tennis. Now listen, folks. Tennis struggles enough (laughs) with people being able to find the sport to watch it. And then... What what are they called? They used to be Time Warner. What are they? Oh God, Time Spectrum. Warner. Spectrum. You are such an elderly. That's millennial. when I when I was in college, I had mm-hmm. my Time Warner cable. Yes. So Spectrum is owned by Charter. On August thirty first, there was a dispute between Disney and Charter, and Disney pulled all of its channels from that cable provider. So that includes ESPN and ABC, the network affiliates. This was in the middle of a U.S. Open tennis match. And more importantly, for more people in the U.S., a college football game. (laughs) Disney said, you know what? We're on strike. We're on corporate strike. The dispute, I can tell you, I've read about the dispute. It's extremely boring. Do you want me to go through it or not? Quickly, please. it's, It's not interesting, I swear. Quickly, please. There was a dispute over Disney basically re-upping with Charter. Charter or Spectrum said that their proposal was too expensive. Charter wanted the freedom to uh, package Disney's channels in a different way. They wanted to use Disney Plus streaming and bundle it with their more more traditional linear channels, give them more flexibility, etc. They were in a stalemate for, what, I think 10 days. It was, I think it was a Monday of this week, just in time for Monday Night Football, that the they entire, reached an agreement. The entire second week. Yes. Missed Sunday. The, the men's final was played on ESPN, as was the women's final. It's no longer on one of the main broadcast networks, which is unfortunate. ESPN was blacked out for about 15 million people across the U.S. It is the major cable provider in the New York and L.A. metro areas. Which meant... When Daniil Medvedev was asked about watching matches of his future opponent or what have you, he said, well, I don't have cable in my hotel room. I can't, I mean, I have cable, but I can't watch the tennis because ESPN is blacked out. I had to go get what you call that, a pirate stream. (laughs) So you have uh, top professional tennis players talking about pirating tennis, which many of us don't do. I would never do that. Nobody's coming for us. Nobody's going to arrest us for that, James. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to arrest me? Are you going to give me a ticket? <laughs> Listen, you still you have know, to, you you still have to pay that ticket. Me. That parking ticket. That's bullshit. I appealed that ticket. I'm waiting on the ruling. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, but as fans, you obviously know that even when you pay for a subscription service... You're not getting all the matches you want. Tennis is in a bad enough state as it is to then have to be held hostage hostage by this this conflict between two massive telecom corporations. That sucks. But they reached a carriage deal just in time for the opening of Monday Night Football. Whoopee. <laughs> okay. The biggest news. We probably buried the lead at this point. We said it right to the jump. We did. The ruling about Simona Halep's doping investigation came out. The independent tribunal has banned her from tennis for four years. 
a year served at this point. So she'd be eligible to return if there are no alterations to her sentence upon appeal. She'll be eligible to return in October 2026, at which point she will be what? I think she'll 34 be years old? 34, 35? Yeah. Not impossible, but this is the result of an appeal of the ITIA's decision. An independent tribunal is the next step. They found her guilty of two violations. The first was what they call the adverse analytical finding, or the urine test, at the U.S. Open in 2022, where they detected Roxadustat. The second is irregularities in the biological passport, which was based on a collection of 51 samples. We've said before, a biological passport is uh, essentially a new way of detecting doping. It monitors one athlete's biological variables over a long time, using many samples. It establishes uh, a range of normal variables, and so when something is outside of that normal range, it could indicate doping. Right, but not normal variables or normal standards as far as a general athlete population. No. Normal specific to you, the based on the other 50 samples that you've given during this timeline. Right. The biological passport doesn't test for a specific drug, but instead it is notices irregularities that can reveal the effects of doping. The tribunal determined that the contaminated supplement, which was the urine test, Simona and her team argued that she had ingested a contaminated supplement that she didn't know what was in it. The tribunal, based on the urine test, they heard her argument, but they said... Because of the concentration of the drug found in that sample, the contaminated supplement argument did not hold up. Basically, they said it didn't account for the level of the drug in that sample. They determined that it was intentional and it was, quote, likely doping. We've heard a lot about how long this case took. And we talked about it on our last episode. We've about... talked about it on many episodes. Mm-hmm. What we didn't know was that there was over 8,000 pages of evidence provided by both Halep and the ITIA that the expert panel had to sift through and evaluate. Right, but if 6,000 of those pages are Simona tweets and Simona Instagram messages and messages from Maratiglu and Darren, then that... That's a that's a fair number. Uh, sure. So I'm reading the news right now. <laughs> I'm trying to give people the information. Okay? I'm trying to bring some levity to this situation. <laughs> and also, I'm hungry. Oh, okay. Uh, Halep's team called four expert witnesses. Even with all of this information, the independent tribunal deemed that this was likely doping. And as you know, four years is the default sentence. Uh, because it was ruled intentional. People like Sharapova, uh, Nicholas Jari, Beatrice Haradmaya, Bellucci, etc. They were ruled to have no significant fault. This is not that. The decision can be appealed, and Simona has indicated that she will definitely appeal it. She has a legal team, a pretty powerful legal team. And the next step will be the Court of Arbitration for Sport. No idea how long that will take, but she says that's where she's going. I have a fun fact about the drug, if you want to hear it. I'll be quick. Rook Yeah, we 
way back when the news came out in October of last year. We talked about the drug and what it does. It's been almost a year? Yeah, October 2022, because the Damn. sample was at the U.S. Open. Yeah. The drug is... Uh, now, how are you going to pronounce that word? <laughs> how are you going to right. pronounce that word? So, the drug stimulates erythropoiesis, which means that it helps the body to produce a hormone called erythropoietin, okay. which stimulates the production of red blood cells. Red blood cells, athletes want more of them. They want a lot because it transports oxygen to the muscles. Mm-hmm. Right? This is... Get the muscles going. <laughs> essentially. Many, <laughs> many banned substances are about increasing the flow of oxygen to the muscles. Okay? And it is treated... Uh, it's a prescription drug to treat anemia in places like China, Korea, the European Union. In the U.S., the FDA has declined to approve it because they've cited some safety concerns with regard to like cardiovascular health. The fun fact, it's actually not that fun. The company that produces this drug, Fibrogen, admitted publicly that they faked the safety data to the FDA. Essentially, we're like... Oops, well, not surprised you guys didn't approve it. We faked it anyway. Oh. Cool, huh? So, how do we trickily, carefully navigate this next bit without calling down no disrespect or shadiness on somebody's name? (laughs) But... Trickily, you bitch loves an adverb. I do. I'll tell you. What is the one that you say I made up? Blanketly. And I maintain. It's not a word. It should be added to the Merriam-Webster Oxford no, we're Dictionary. Oxford English Dictionary. Encyclopedia okay. Britannica. <laughs> would I you, am would from, you settle for Urban Dictionary? I am, no. I am from the Mariah Carey School of English, mm-hmm. whereby sometimes words make sense. Even if y'all don't recognize them. Oh, I agree. If, it sounds good. If it gains enough usage and it conveys meaning, then it's a word. Period. Which I believe. Yeah. Okay. All right. If I were to say to you that I'm condemning Djokovic fans blanketly as all being the same, y'all get it. Yeah, I know y'all what Y'all know what the meaning is, so <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> okay. What you were going to say, you were going to segue into Serena Williams' tweet shortly after the ruling came out, right? No, I was just oh. going to call it Marata Glue. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's, as Rihanna said, let's start there. With Patrick? Yes. Patrick, uh, first of all, let's, let's be clear. We have no idea whether Patrick had any involvement at all. However, Patrick must know that he will be stained by the association to this. By the proximity to this. Simona recently, at some point early 2022, I want to say, dissembled her team and put everything into the Patrick camp, into the academy, all his people saying that she trusted what their vision, whatever, like you all take you all take the reins. And then this happens. Who is responsible? You say that a supplement was contaminated. Where did, who purchased it? Mm. Where did it come from? Who, was who administered it? I don't understand. What are we doing here? Are we blaming? Are we going to blame the physio, the agent? That uh, like is who anyone is at fault? to blame? Mm-hmm. 
if it's not you, Simona, who is to blame? Where are we casting our eyes? Right. And so who are far, we looking she toward? Hasn't, she hasn't blamed anybody by name. It's I mean, just that this happened to me and I'm innocent. And everybody says, this is not the Simona I know. She would never do that. And at this point, it reads and rings to me as blah, 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 blah. Like we have so many cases historically of how this stuff plays out. And it's just not enough to to litigate this on social media and try and use somebody's reputation as a defense. No, not at all. It's not, what is the defense? And it's not like, it's not, oh, I don't like this athlete, so I'm going to believe the bad things about them. At this point, we've, we watch track and field. We watch other sports. We've seen many, many athletes deny for years, convincingly. Tennis players. And then it turns out that they were lying. You know, even people you liked or people you thought were nice. Marion Jones, uh, again, like someone, you don't celebrate that downfall, but she lied for years, right? And then it turned out she was lying and the, the doping tests were true, like, at this point, Simona has been... See, I, I always knew those doping, oh. doping stuff was real. Oh, as a Jamaica track fan. I knew something right. was up with that from the jump. No, but I'm saying, like, even the athletes who you think are wonderful, and, and they may be. They may be very nice people, but... It's not a defense. Exactly. It's not a defense. At this point, first of all, let me just say, like, this is not good news. I'm fascinated by doping cases, as you know. Like, I always want to talk about them on the show. But this is not good news for anybody. Nobody in tennis. Not Simona. We're not kikiing about this. No. But the fact is, at this point, two panels, two expert panels have deemed her guilty. You don't have to use the alleged anymore. Right. But I'm not even here to say that I trust them Mm. by default Mm. either. I'm just saying, give me something new on the defense. Right. Right. I want to know what your strategy is here. Because it can't so far, be, it hasn't been It can't compelling. just be like, I took something by accident. Because we've heard how many... I have a list of tennis players here that we've heard that from, and it's worked for some and it hasn't worked for others. But then you say, when the panel found out my identity, they changed their ruling. We need evidence for that. I'm not just going to believe you because you say it. Which implies what? It implies that they're... Well, it implies that there's, that there's an some sinister Eastern European bias. Well, that I'm, there's an anti-woman player bias, I'm an anti-Simona. No, not you, but her. Mm. Like, what are you implying? No, then? but she's asking us to believe that there was a motive to punish her specifically. To make a specific example yes. of her. Yes, and I'm not. I'm not ready to believe that without evidence. All I know is Maria Sharapova stood there on that ugly carpet. And gave us a story. A story that was believable. It was a story, regardless. Did it matter? There's an explanation. mm -hmm. I haven't seen an explanation. Well, we've seen the explanation. It's just one that we've heard a million times. And once the biological passport stuff came out, it became more difficult to believe. Back to Patrick. Again, not blaming him, not assigning any guilt, but the association is going to be something he's going to have to shake off. And he is someone who's good at this. But it happened only months after she moved to his academy, hired some members of his team. Reporters need to ask him. He needs to be asked about this. 
And I'm not talking about tennis majors, people who work for him. I'm talking about... (laughs) No, and many of those reporters work for other publications as well. They do. But tennis majors is something that is operated by the Academy. It's a Patrick outfit. Yes. I'm talking about, will he make himself available to reporters? And if so, they need to ask about this. It's their responsibility. Serena and Alexis. Now, ma'am, was a nanny watching Adira? Why you had so much time? Why the both of you had so much time to do this? Because, I mean, I swear, there are days, having a tennis podcast, and it's always the days when you you just feel in your bones that it'll be a respite. You're coming off... After the US Open. Coming off a a three-week, really busy stretch. Travel, recording, blah, 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 blah. They have it in pass. You know, like, yes. give me a break. Leave us alone. And then I'm scrolling through this website, this app. You've already been up for like five hours at this point. Mm. I'm like, what am I waking up to? What has happened? You have so much to catch up on. I'm like, is this real? First of all, is this real? <laughs> right, like, right. Why, why are we doing this? Serena tweeted, eight is a better number. That's all. Clearly. We know what that means. That fans know what that means immediately. Serena has seven Wimbledon titles. Simona beat her in the final in 2019. Whooped her ass. Really just wiped the floor with her. Uh, a terrible memory I'd like to forget. Eight would be nice. Uh, sure, there's no evidence that Simona was doping in 2019. Zero. I understand. Right, this is three years after the fact. There's the... Four. Four even. Fine. It's, no, yeah. but the... Doping allegation oh, oh, happened right. in 2022. Right. So this is three years after she waxed you in that 2019 final. Mm. It's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> like Serena did not show up that day. Yeah. Period. So, uh, so my here's my ambivalence is I w- I'm old enough to have witnessed Serena's entire career, st- pretty much start to finish. We know that she has been accused of doping, of being a man, of all of these horrible racist and misogynistic things associated with her because of who she is. Not only because of what she looks like and her race, but how people feel she acted, right? Mm -hmm. And that even if she did nothing to enhance her performance unnaturally, just her natural state of being was an unfair advantage. Right, it was an alarm bell. That mm. her body looked a certain way, and then you have uh, you have a story by Kamachi Tandon that's apparently floating around the. Uh, <laughs> she's she's doing she's, no. Remember this was back in. I oh, think, I thought it was something new. I'm no, like she no. certainly can't be doing this again. No, 2019. She was using the illegally leaked TUE data from what mm. was that called? Like the Bad News Bears or the Huggy Bears? Or remember that it had that weird name, the leak. Anyway, not the Savannah Bananas. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not making this up, I swear. No, somebody had leaked a bunch of therapeutic use exemptions for yes, tennis yes, players, yes. right? Is and that when she asked her about her drugs yes, in press? And that is, in fact, when she asked her about her drugs. And then produced a hatchet job trying to diagnose what Serena was ill with at the 2015 mm. French Open. Well, that was, and a, then, mo- that was that? a moment in time. It was a moment. And then, this was like four years after it happened, by the way. Uh, trying to decide whether or not the drug she was prescribed was an appropriate drug for the symptoms she was displaying. Now she's a pharmacist. No, we covered this on the podcast, and I'm being a little bit more strident, I think, than I was then. 
But anyway, this story has made the rounds on right-wing tennis Twitter, clearly, because Naturally. I've seen it a lot. Anyway, this is a player who's been accused every moment of her professional career of doping. And now two of her rivals were actually found guilty of using banned substances. So I understand the petty. And also, if you know Serena, if you grew up with Serena, this isn't new. Like she I is made petty. you. Oh, but... <laughs> okay, but this is the the eight is a better number. Falls flat for me in that regard because mm, there's no evidence that someone was doping right. at that 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 time. I agree. I agree. And it also doesn't account for your piss poor performance that day. Oh, well, I mean, even fans will agree she was. Yeah, it was. It was not good. But what this tells me, and it's in keeping with everything I've come to know about Serena. And something we talked about on this podcast after the, what year was yep, it even? The 2018, the 2018 U.S. Open final against Naomi. Yep. When she was, in effect, accused of cheating by Carlos Ramos. Mm-hmm. You watch that back, and that's what she says over and over the, and over well, that again. Was the I've never cheated. Mm. That was the trigger, right? Serena has been suspected of cheating one way or another her entire career. From when she was... A young girl, right up until the end, mm-hmm. as a 40 something. Mm-hmm. For decades, she was suspected of cheating. And for her, in her family, in her life, in her personal ethos, that is one of the worst accusations that you can level against a person. And so when something happens like this, it's going to trigger something in her. Yeah. And it's going to bring out the petty. I just kind of wish that brought out in a different way. <laughs> I could no, have, I, I could have fully stand the moment. You yeah. know, I remember back in 2018, you talked a lot about. Yeah, imp- I don't need that. Oh, glow right. Now. Okay, yeah, no, but we can move past that. Impugning her integrity was clearly something that triggered her throughout her yeah. career. And Zena was right on the front lines with that. Right, the Alexis tag team is something I've never needed. Don't need now. Uh, the dare shirt, you know, it was a joke once. Don't recycle the joke. <laughs> I don't. I just. I, I learned today. Kudos, you got to support your spouse. You do, and like I would ride for you even mm-hmm. if you're wrong, as you know. And I've often but, questioned you: How far could I take that? <laughs> <laughs> what like, could I do? Like, would you fight? <laughs> what could I do? That was so bad that you would still defend right. me. Well, there are, there are things, but still. Uh, I <laughs> No, but Mariah recycled a joke I learned today. Or maybe relearned. I sent you the TikTok with Talia. Oh, okay. It was a clip from the late 90s where we get the genesis of what she said about Nicki Minaj in that Barbara Walters 2020 interview. I didn't know she sang. I thought she mm. rapped or whatever. Mm. She was asked about Talia, this singer, whatever, blah, 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 who was then involved with Tommy Mottola. Right. Like right? his new protege. His new thing. And she laughed incredulously and she said, I didn't know she sang. <laughs> Wait, like in 1999? Yes. Oh. That, the, so the Barbara Walters thing was a recycle? It was a recycle. But if you no. wait, the, the, the rub here is if you wait 15 years, it's fine. And... All the great comedians recycle jokes. Joan Rivers told some of the same jokes. If recycling jokes were a crime, Bob Hope would be serving a lifetime prison ban. Mm. Anyway, the Alexis thing, I appreciate that he rides for his wife. I really do. 
what I do not need to be taking advice from the co-founder of Reddit. Jeannie Bouchard. See, this is a different thing. You remember when I said, well, Francis is Francis? Yes. This is like that exponentially. Jeannie is a wannabe, is Mm -hmm. mean. Okay. Simona did not stand in her way for any big titles. You know who stood stood in her way? There was just one year where titles were an offer. So that's what I'm saying. Why are you still talking? Take your US Open check and go play pickleball. You're not it talk- was a big check. You're not talking about a prize money check, right? It was a big check. You're talking about a settlement. A settlement. Yes. It was a big check. Look it up. Jeannie tweeted yesterday, quote, I was told not to tweet today. <laughs> you know, because she came for Sharapova. She came for Yastremska. Because Jeannie was like she, the next Sharapova, right? When well, she was. That's how she was being built mm-hmm. back in 2014, 15. And she beat Sharapova mm-hmm. uh, back when Maria was coming back from her ban, right? Jeannie has somehow become like the doping police on tour. And I guess she thought this was cute to tweet. I was told not to tweet today. Like, really, just go away. Go play wiffle ball. Dill. All right? You've never been a Jeannie fan. I have not. At all. Before we, start, before we started this podcast, I was a Jeannie fan. Do you fan. know why? Because I think she's a mean person. I really do. I just, maybe she should focus on her lawn upkeep. I'm told that it's still a problem. Girl. In Montreal. That Westmount thing. <laughs> oh my God. Drama. It's just drama. See, you can be mean if you're really, really good. Like you you can't be both. Right? Not in 2023. Like if you're a goat, you it's can be mean. It's <laughs> been almost a decade since your irrelevance began. <laughs> like it's, it's, you're not the conduit that you think you are. Somebody lied to her several times. You wanted to. She talk lied about... to herself, <laughs> and is still lying to herself. Stop. You wanted to talk about the U.S. Open trophy size, and I vetoed it several times. But you now is your chance. Yep, and we got a message from Bad Toss on Twitter. Oh, this who week said saying, encouraged you to talk. I'm like, about listen, it. it's been on the. I've tried. <laughs> because before the tournament started, I don't know why, but I came across. A photo that had both trophies close up. And I'm like, what? This is the 50th anniversary that we're celebrating equal prize money at the US Open. The first slam to do so. And in 2023, we still have disparate trophies that we are awarding. (laughs) And it's that in itself... It's not the issue. It's not a size issue. It's not strictly a size issue. As we know, bigger is not always better. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's true across many fields. Mr. Foucault. <laughs> <laughs> but in this case, the woman's trophy literally looks like a slightly compressed version of the men's trophy. That it was just squished a little bit. <laughs> And so if we are championing this 50 years of equality, why the trophies look like that? Mm. I mean, I get it. It's not that big of a deal, but it is incredibly stupid to me. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. I hear you. And, I and then am- the boys trophy. Did you see the boys trophy? The boys no. and girls trophy? Wait. It's a little cup. 
that Fievel Goes West would drink water out of. That you put in your hands. But are the boys and girls trophies the same size? Let's do some investigating. I don't know. Oh, I thought that's what it you could were be doing. an even. It could be a thimble. The girls' trophy could be a thimble. Did you really just reference Fievel Goes West? Incredible cartoon. <laughs> it was. It was. I I hear you. Uh, I'm really into sim symbols. It's. I get it. It's not the biggest thing to get worked up over. Mm-hmm. But it is just like a why. Why? <laughs> I don't get it. Right. What, it's like a, you've left this blind spot that only some neurotic moron like myself <laughs> would take issue with. Some snowflake. Right. You know? But it, it's just not the best look for me. Okay. I hear you. Although I love the Venus Rosewater dish. Yep. I do. So. Well, this is my point. The men's trophy at Wimbledon has their colonial imperial pineapple. <laughs> yes. You can have that. Mm. And then the women have the Venus Rosewater dish. It's two completely different moments. The US Open trophy is pretty much the same moment, but slightly smaller. Yeah. It's like when Wimbledon was giving the women like 8% less. Exactly. You know, it wasn't based on that the formula. That is exactly what it's giving. It was giving. just important to mm-hmm. do less. Exactly what yeah. it's giving. I don't even know if I want to talk about this. The Dave, last bit. Dave Portnoy, who is the founder of Barstool Sports, who has wrought so much ugliness. Like, as if sports fandom wasn't already ugly enough. You talked about how you're not here for the founder of Reddit's wokeness. Yeah. On, worse. Right? Like, this is this is like a one-two step. Apparently, this guy calls himself El Presidente. Mm. What the fuck? He he apparently is a fan of Sabalenka, even though, I mean, he said really offensive things about her, about her <laughs> opponents. Uh, he's an asshole. Everybody knows this. He attended so, the U.S. Open for the first time this year, and that's when he first saw Sabalenka. Right. He rolled up to one of our matches and was like, wow, this, this person, huh? So he was, I guess, invited to sit in her box. I'm sure Arena has, like, no idea who this guy is. For the final, he was invited for the final, yeah. but he had some other bro business to go do mm-hmm. somewhere else I'm in sure the country. call somebody a slur. Or so. It's busy, you know, it's busy being here. Meanwhile, he was invited to Tennis Channel. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I don't know if we have time for this, but uh, I know I see people quote-tweeting Tennis Channel, like, why are you doing this? And, like, this is... This is their ethos. They are owned by an extremely conservative corporation that runs a lot of local news stations that literally puts fake news on the airways in your towns and cities across America. Sinclair. This is what they do. And they probably view him as a conduit to getting more eyes on tennis, the curious bros. Oh, indeed. On tennis. And if we bring Dave Portnoy, El Presidente, onto Tennis Channel... He will then filter these eyes into the sport. Mm. And we will build the sport. So Build it better. Build it back and make it great again. <laughs> build back better. Build back better yeah. and make it great again. The message is to cry, for people like us, cry more. Cry harder. That's what we do, apparently. Cry more. And this is hand-in-hand hand with all of the overwhelming betting content on mm. Tennis Channel. 
We got the DraftKings desk. We've got interviews with betting experts. Like, it is fully woven into the sport and almost all professional sports now yeah, that it's, gambling it's not unique to tennis. gambling laws have been liberalized in many countries in the world yeah so this is what we're up against now we were gonna skip this for another episode but we would be derelict in our duties if we didn't just do a quick three minutes on this what a transition into this match fixing story for the washington uh, yeah. post so first of all so much praise to kevin seif from the washington post this is incredible reporting on the largest match-fixing ring in tennis history. This guy, Grigor Sargsyan, who was known as the Maestro, he apparently built a massive match-fixing ring that included 180-plus professional tennis players. Largest in tennis history. Turns out he was part of a huge criminal enterprise based in Armenia. And then he was reporting to, or... Uh, what? The, the guy making the actual financial transactions. His name was Andronik Martirosian. And that guy, the financial guy, apparently was working from prison. <laughs> from He was in Armenia in prison. And these are young guys. These yes. are guys, yeah. the, the prison financier, he was in his early 30s, and Grigor was in his mid to early 20s when he started. Yeah, yeah. Grigor was, uh, he came to Belgium with his family as a kid from Armenia. Was a, a, a prodigy of chess a yes. chess prodigy was like playing like one of the greats at 13 years old but really like a working class kid from a rough neighborhood in brussels somehow built up this network of tennis players who were vulnerable who were low paid who were susceptible to being tempted with all this money to throw a set here to throw a match to hit a double fault here all of these intricate metrics in tennis are so perfect for betting. And he fashioned himself into this sort of talented Mr. Ripley figure, right? Became someone who people perceived as this ultra-rich, old-money, jet-setter European guy who wore Rolexes, who spoke several languages fluently. Well, what's hilarious to me in this moment is that necessarily that person then is without expertise. You just assume that this person comes from money, mm. and then they must be trusted. But where are the credentials? Uh, right. You know? The credentials are like the hustle, right? He was good at... He could identify players' weaknesses, befriend them, get them to to do what he wanted to do. So, like, he would find players who were vulnerable to this, to this stuff, whose parents were ill, who were in a really rough spot in their career and struggling financially. And he would tempt them with, hey, uh, you know, do you want to throw the first set and you'll get paid $5,000? Because it's a hell of a lot more than you would make even if you won the entire tournament. So players on the Challenger and the ITF level are particularly vulnerable to this kind of mm -hmm. temptation, right? Reading this story, I was struck by how deeply stupid some of these players were because... I relate it to my regular life and having to go through this world and interact with deeply stupid people. <laughs> this is not really where I thought this was going. You have this thing. You have this good thing. It's an exploitative relationship, granted. It's illegal, criminal. But you get this one payout, and one of the stipulations from this dude is don't be showy about it. 
And you're oh. out here making it rain. Oh. Making it rain. Literally. So, yeah. As the world number 800. Mm-hmm. What on earth yes. are you thinking? Yeah. You okay, know? I didn't know where you were going with that. You're saying the players that became part of his network that he asked explicitly, like, do not show up. I'm just saying, I'm yeah. reading this thing and I'm I'm on Grigor's side for some parts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like uh, I just put a lot of money in your pocket mm. and you are acting a fool, acting a mess. Because yeah. it's not like, oh, my mom needs her medical bills paid. You know? Well, I mean, some of it was. Some of right? it was. And that's but how like, he would attract some this, When something is so vast and the scope of this is so big, you are going to attract these morons mm-hmm. who are going to screw it up for you, right? Well, and right. this is what happened. And so the investigation started when Belgium's gambling commission noticed some irregular wagers on very low-level matches uh, from people who were winning pretty frequently against pretty bad odds. So the Gambling Commission started it. The Belgian police are involved. The Tennis Integrity Unit at the time, which is now part of the ITIA, collaborated on this, made a huge sting operation in 2018, arrested Sargsian and 27 players and gamblers. Several of these players have been banned for life. Sargsian was sentenced to five years in prison. Kevin Seif, the reporter, does a great job of placing this into the context of how gambling has become part of the sporting world, which I thought was really important. Because gambling laws have been liberalized in many countries, sports, uh, I mean, have welcomed this, right? Because the alternative is is having all this unofficial data about your sport out there, and that poses an even greater risk. So they felt like, you know, the balance here is let's make real legitimate deals with gambling companies where we release our legitimate data that they can use to bet on because the alternative is even worse so i don't know if that's the case i I mean i don't know if that's the truth but tennis has become quote the world's most manipulated sport because of all the thousands of metrics you can bet on during a match and it's the third most wagered on sport in the world it's a $50 billion industry annually. Mercy. Yeah. For me, sure, Kevin Seif, but the, the real kudos here goes to the Belgian police detective who was like, I am going to take this story on. That's it. That brings us to the end of episode, what, 316? My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. This is the body serve. You can find everything BodyServe related at linktree.com slash thebodyserve. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you very much.